Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This has got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right, don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the London Is Blue podcast, your home for all things Chelsea FC. Nick, Dan, and myself cover all the match reviews from the latest Chelsea matches. We cover the team news and even throw you some exclusive interviews. Thank you already for being an awesome listener. And you know what? Let's jump right in. All right, Chelsea fans, we are back as we said with another episode of the London Is Blue podcast. Joining me as always are Dan and Nick, my co hosts uh dan did you actually watch chelsea on yet a different coast this season this last weekend it was the east coast this week brandon and you know i would say that i watched chelsea but i also got a chance to witness the wonderment of wolves and west ham nick and i know that that was for a, for a little bit of time was almost more enjoyable than the chelsea match uh, i would disagree <laughs> <laughs> From what I saw of Wolves and West Ham, it was as dire as it as it sounds. And and frankly, West Ham are, are just god awful. I mean, they're terrible. Um, so yeah, thanks to NBC or or IMG or whoever is responsible for that feed, we, we ended up seeing about 15 minutes of <laughs> of Wolves and uh, and West Ham. And, and dear God, was that uh, was that not good? Uh, luckily, uh, a couple of the the guys in my uh, in my pub were resourceful and found a Spanish feed uh, for the Chelsea match, so we ended up watching 15 minutes on a cell phone. Brandon, it was um, not ideal, but we did it. 
All right. Well, Nick, I'm sure you and the group are all fluent in Spanish and probably didn't miss a beat. Uh, but to go ahead and round out our cast for today, we do have a guest. We have Amity from the Carefree Blues Pod joining us. Obviously, you guys know Amity's been uh, a guest. He was uh, a feature on our racism pods and, and some other projects we've done. So again, welcome back, Amity. Thanks for having me on again, fellas. It's always a pleasure. Nice. We're looking to looking forward to break down the Bournemouth match with you, obviously, today, everybody. Uh, but before we get into that, we do have a ton more iTunes reviews, Dan. These are literally flooding in every week. Dropping out of the sky, Brandon. Dropping out of the sky like droplets of water in a rainstorm. We are just absolutely being flooded with reviews. Uh, one from Christopher Bryson from Sweden, giving us a little international dap. We appreciate that. Jay Atkins, too. Chicky, chicky, boom, boom. Not chicky, chicky, parm, parm. Uh, and then Sar Arte, California, and Wishworn. No questions this week, though. No one snuck in a question. Just gave a little five-star love, which we absolutely appreciate. Get a shout at the beginning of the podcast. Very easy to do. Just leave that five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and we'll hit you up. Uh, we appreciate that as always, and we do have um, some some new Patreon names. You know, shout out to Brett. Um, he did mention um, about the Dallas Blues who, who have passed away. So his message, you know, from from Brett, who actually increases his donation, says, "I really enjoy listening to you guys each and every week. So the pleasure is all mine. I consider our American Chelsea presence to be one big family." And each and every time I step into the pub or run into another Chelsea fan, I know it's always a family type situation for me. Um, just kind of goes on to talk about, uh, you know, he often connects with people on Facebook, whether it's quick line or something. It's really cool that kind of have that family and, and everyone around and that, you know, he also would like me to shout out how Chelsea, um, or that we may have heard in the shed in Dallas lost two of their members this past week. So our hearts are mourning with their losses. Um, obviously, you know, without getting into details, uh, you know, BJ and the team down there and, and everyone, we just want to, you know kind of give our, our special love to you guys that you have lost two members and for all of you listening it's obviously uh you know important for us as, as one big family to you know kind of keep them you know in your thoughts and prayers and 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 know that uh any extra love you can send their way they would definitely appreciate it and he signs off as always with uh keep the blue flag flying high so again a little bit more of a serious start to the the pod but you know definitely important and, and well worth you know taking out time to remember and shout out those members down in texas kind of transitioning it a little bit now nick uh we now have an open invitation to go to denmark how about that that's right uh thomas lundberg who um you know is is we, we uh we've produced a video with or you know one one video with or two uh depending on you know when you see these come out uh he has open uh opened his home or opened his pub or his pub slash home uh to us to do a podcast uh, two hours free beer and a traditional Danish smorbrod. I don't know how to say that. <laughs> a smorgasbord um, would be the way to probably sure. pronounce that, Nicholas. And, okay, Dan. Uh, I know that you've been taking your Danish lessons, so they're really paying off now, um, and that's that's great. Um, Thomas okay. is great. Uh, Joe Tweeds lives in in Copenhagen. Um, you know, this is uh, this is something we got to do, boys. And it sounds like Copenhagen's our next big stop. Add it to the list, Mr. Worldwide. That's what our goal is. All right, let's go ahead and, uh, you know, kind of reframe our minds, transition back to thinking Bournemouth. Um, I guess real quick, though, Nick, we do have a quick shout out. Our promo code is back for all of those looking to get the new kits for this season. 
Yeah. Uh, so quickly, we are you know have extended uh, part of our agreement with World Soccer Shop to continue our promo code through the end of the season. Uh, we won't talk about it a ton on the show moving forward. Um, and you know at the you know at the end of the day, you just kind of have this in your in the back of your mind. But we have ten percent off uh, of your orders using the code London Pod through the end of the year. Use that for customization. You know to to knock off that cost or free shipping or any other stuff you want to add to your order. Uh, take advantage of the savings. Uh, we will occasionally be posting on our social channels uh, about, you know, world soccer shop and the, you know, per, you know, perhaps a, a kick giveaway or something like that. So uh, be, be on the lookout, but you, you know that you can use London pod now through the end of the year. Do it. All right, well, let's go ahead and get into the thick of it with the AFC Bournemouth match review. It was in the Premier League, and it was at Stamford Bridge this past Saturday, August 31st. Blues 2, Cherries 0. Now, Amity, I am not sure if you are big on match predictions, but did you make one by chance? Um, actually, I didn't make one um, that I posted online. I was just hoping that we would get a good two-goal cushion. I didn't care if that was a 3-1 or 2 nothing win, but it looked like we uh, managed to hold out for the clean sheet, which I think is important for um, Kepa. Oh, big time. Um, I'm not even sure if Kepa played, but whoever was in goal, it was good <clears throat> to uh, get that. <clears throat> and yes, why I ask, <clears throat> is because, as you can annoyingly hear, we did have quite <laughs> a few correct predictions. Nick somehow pulling out of his backside a second week in a row. Nick, That's uh, right, baby. Who, who are you paying for predictions? Uh, I I have my own sources <laughs> that I will I will leave unnamed, but... Uh, you know, I'm I'm happy I'm happy to be back on the on the winning side. I don't think I've had one in like two years, and I've had two. In you two and Lee weeks. Mason, man. Yeah, you and Lee Mason. Um, so blind squirrel finds nut for the second time, Brandon, uh, as you so eloquently pointed out last week. Um, so look, guys, if you need advice, if anyone wants to come into the to the house of Verlaney for any other betting needs, please please step in. I'm here. Well. You know, the good news is you are not alone. We had Daniel and Philip from Facebook, and we had Talk Chelsea, Clayton underscore CFC, M608D, Izat, Alex underscore Campo 26, D Roove Tagi 03, and Jay Connolly 2003, all nailing it on Instagram. You guys, that was a huge round of you that are getting it right. Make sure to keep throwing out your predictions. Uh, and and you know, keep it going because apparently <laughs> it's just anyone can get it right. Quick. Quick, quick shout out to Mike's five one prediction. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was that was a thing that was there, um, but we're probably not going to keep going in that one anymore. Uh, but Nick, you did have a question from the Knoxville Chelsea saying, "How does Nick feel about having more correct score predictions than West Ham has points?" Oh, <laughs> I like that. That's that's witty and also factually correct. Um, West Ham is terrible. If you if you got to see the 15 minutes that we did, uh, it, it's not great, and they are going to really struggle. Indeed. All right, Dan, let us go through the lineup for this match. Uh, 4-3-3, obviously, is, is sorry he said. That is the only formation he knows how to play. That is correct. We did see Kepa in goal. I know that you questioned that. Brandon, but it was in fact Kepa. We saw Rudiger and Luis paired together centrally in the defense with Alonso and Luis on the sides. You saw Jorginho Kante and Kovacic in the midfield three, and then you saw Hazard, Morata, and 
William question mark starting even after Pedro had a great performance the last game he does come in off the bench as a substitute along with Giroux and then Ruben Loftus cheek question mark also makes an appearance Ross Barkley Christensen Zapacasa and Caballero round out the subs so pretty much the lineup people would have expected outside of maybe Pedro starting yeah I mean you know He's keeping it fresh, you know. Um, he's, he's keeping us on our toes a little bit, Amity. You know, from your standpoint, which I think this is interesting, Sari is very open about his subs bench and exactly why he has who he has on them. Um, you know, he is kind of trading Pedro and William, probably trying to feel that out a little bit, see if there's, um, you know, any kind of, of switches. But otherwise than that, I think we've already seen that the midfield three is locked down. Yeah, and I think that that's... I think that that's something that's key for Sarri's team. I mean, obviously, with the addition of Jorginho to this Chelsea side, everybody expected him to be influential, and he's been nothing short of it. However, the transition, I guess, between Pedro and Willian, even though I think Pedro's gotten the, the more of the favoritism early on this season, I think it's good. I think that that's a good place to be making changes, and also because I think the shape of the team might not be as as affected as far as returning to face our own goal defensively. However, I think bringing on Pedro or William late in the game is going to be effective as there's, you know, especially I think Pedro, he's very attack minded and he's quick enough to really upset some defenses who have put in 60 or 70 minutes under, under their belt. So uh, that addition, whether it's Pedro or William, as I said, I think it's a positive one. And I still think Pedro deserves to start over William so far because his offensive contribution is, I mean, what, three goals in four games. So, yeah, I think that's a good that's a good thing. I think that he keeps switching it up is going to make both of them be motivated to get the start. And I think that no offense to William, but I think that Pedro is kind of edging him out um, as we as we where we stand now. Maybe that two year contract by the club this last summer for Pedro turning out to uh, look like smart business all of a sudden. Oh, I think so for sure. And I think he's been reinvigorated. I think a lot of the players we're looking at this season have been reinvigorated because it's almost like having a fresh start, new manager. New system. Uh, it's almost like you're. It's almost like you get a new lease on life. And I think that both of them, Pedro and William, have embraced that. Uh, I'm not saying that they can't improve, both of them, but I think that there's a sense that, hey, look, you know, look what I can do, coach. Keep me in or put me in. Look what he's not doing that I can. It's it's good competition in that position. And I don't think either of them is going to beat out Hazard for the starting spot now that he's fit. Nah, I I wouldn't expect that. Uh, some top-line stats, obviously, Chelsea with 72% possession, which is still funny to me to hear. Uh, six shots on target based off of 24 total shots, 892 touches, 704 passes. I mean, Chelsea have more passes than Bournemouth have touches. Just saying. <laughs> um, and then if you go from there, it's uh, you know some fouls and some yellow cards, yada, yada, yada. My mans, we've got some goals. So, Dan, it, we had to wait, right? I mean, Chelsea are coming up with the goods, but they're making us sweat it out until the 72nd minute this time. Pedro, as somebody just talked about, on the goal-scoring sheet, assist to one Giroud. And a bargain of fantasy points in Fantasy Premier League if you were willing to take the gamble on Pedro. Even though he didn't start the game, it still comes out with a bit of a banger there. Uh, uh, and took the shot from outside the box, which we know we all love. Maybe a little bit of uh, some nice guidance with a touch here or there, but Giroud obviously changes the game, holds the ball up a little bit more, and gives Pedro that opportunity to do what he does best, which is just shoot and uh, 
shoot from a little bit outside the boot there. So definitely a nice goal to see. Happy to have him as a fantasy Premier League player and happy that he's wearing Chelsea blue. All right. All easy things that we can agree with. I think uh, Nick, 85th minute, Eden Azard sealing the deal assist. Our fourth striker, Marcos Alonso. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe our first choice striker <laughs> moving forward. Um, yeah, this was just... You know, it was a little piece of magic. I think that both players had seen a lot of action in and around the box during the during the previous uh, 84 minutes. This was a brilliant piece of interchange that was kind of a give-and-go action. And then Hazard with a rocket that, um, you know, just there was no stopping uh, getting into the far corner. So uh, just a brilliant goal. I think the fans went ballistic. Uh, you know, I think everyone is rooting for for Hazard to have the the type of season that we know he's he's had before and that he's capable of having, maybe even contributing a little bit more from a goal scoring standpoint. So this was just a you know it's just kind of a beautiful moment, and you got the the mini Didier celebration at the end, and uh, and yeah, it just makes everyone happy. Lots of smiles. Now you know, Dan. I know you aren't uh, maybe best known for your score predictions, but apparently you do like to tweet. <laughs> Um, slight predictions, maybe foreshadowing, you could almost call it with this tweet saying, bringing on Giroud and Pedro will give Chelsea the height and outside the box shot we've been missing so far. Hopefully it leads to the opening goal. Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. You, you called it. And a brilliant yeah, Jeff Goldblum gif, if I may add so. Uh, you're, you're welcome. There, there were uh, a fair number of Jeff Goldblum gifs the other day, and they were seemingly very well received, which I appreciate. All right. Well, let's go ahead and talk about something that uh, I've been starting to notice a little bit, Nick. And I, I, I want to know if anyone else thinks it's weird that at this point of the season, obviously with the new manager, um, I do expect the first half to be tight of all of these matches with Chelsea. It just seems like Chelsea don't really dominate the first half for whatever reason. And then come the 60th minute, usually coinciding with substitutions, as Dan foreshadowed in his tweet before, um, Chelsea just come alive and take control. And, you know, maybe it's because of the strength of our bench. Maybe it's because of the the style in which we play with the high press. It, you know, it, it takes about 60 minutes to grind down some of these teams to where they're exhausted. Um, but to me, it just seems like that's it. I expect Chelsea to struggle or not really come up with anything until after the 60th minute. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think this will change as the season goes on and, and players become more comfortable. And I think with any Premier League match, there's always a, a little bit of, of tightness, you know, in, in terms of, you know, tactics and how, you know, aggressive both teams are going to play. I mean, typically, you know, you'll see an away team kind of bunker down and, and want to survive the first 20 minutes of a match uh, as to not, you know, get smoked completely. Um and you know, I just I think that Chelsea grow into the game, unlike maybe last year, where you know we kind of faded a little bit towards the end. And you're seeing really clutch moments. You're seeing goals, you know, late in the 72nd, 85th minute. You're seeing, you know, a really you know kind of ballistic end to the Newcastle game, 76th and 87th. I mean, like these are all you know really good signs to me um, that you know this team is is confident that you know no matter what happens you know even a a ridiculous goal that Newcastle got the the week prior that uh, they can go and get the winner and you know I think I think over time you're going to see the goals spread out a little bit but I also you know think Amity that um, you know 
when Maurizio makes a change, it's, you know, I think there is some real kind of invention in the team or maybe a little bit of extra fire that gets put behind the behind the guys to do something. Yeah, and I, I mean, I kind of want to echo what both of you were saying. I, I think there's a half of it is the passing. I mean, if we're breaking down teams, whether they're having to run a lot or even just a little bit and kind of track back between two players, getting 81% possession, 82% possession, and ending up with 76, that's indicating that a lot of running is being done by the opposing team, whether they're getting a touch on the ball or not, whether they're staying compact, compact keeping 11 players behind the ball. It's it's a grueling thing to try to just to stay in a game where you're not seeing the ball very often. Um, so when it does come time for changes, and Chelsea can afford to bring on players like RLC or for a Willian for a Pedro or vice versa, or any I mean, a couple games Hazard didn't start and he he came in and made an immediate impact. So it's the idea there is yes, teams are getting broken down and Chelsea's you know the ability to pull quality players off of the bench is and also kind of a different a variation. I think you mentioned how. Um, Giroud was coming on. We'll get a little bit of height. You know, we can play the longer ball, have a target uh, striker, and we can also have someone to kind of play in that space just below him uh, to, to get those balls that he knocks down. I think the variation in style uh, in the final third and simply the fact that we have that much possession it really just breaks the team down. And it's almost like it's a matter of time playing with such an offensive system in a high press that we would eventually get a good look. But I do want to say that a lot of that has to do with uh, the quick understanding, I think, in particular, of our defensive wide players. Espelicueta has not made as many forward forays as he would have in the 3-5-2 or 3-4-3 system under Conte. But I like that when Alonso pushes up, there's almost a line of three center backs um, with a little bit of a, you know, a bit of a movement forward for Espelicueta if he's making a run or receiving the pass to alleviate pressure. But I like that people still have an idea of their role. And also, if Alonso continues to move forward and, and be as effective offensively as he has been, I want to see it more and more. I mean, I think it's a big problem for opposing teams. And it has yet to really um, kind of kick us in the back that he's been caught too high upfield. So, I mean, yes, that's a danger. But I like the way that we sort of manage those spaces and also the, the, the ability to really – hunker down in the opposing uh, the opposing team's defensive third and kind of keep them in there. Uh, but eventually those things will kind of become second nature, and I think we're going to see an even more impressive team in the second half. Maybe not so like, late, but... Like you even saw the fact that, you know, versus the game that we saw against Newcastle where we really didn't have the width on either side, you have Alonso even floating into the, the center of the pitch both Azpilicueta and Alonso pushed far enough forward that once we got through that first 15-20 minute spell where Bournemouth were trying to man-mark, made very narrow passing lanes, that we were comfortable enough to push extremely far up, really relied on Luis and uh, Luis and Rudiger to cover any type of long ball back or counterattack. And it gave them the width that we were missing against that Newcastle match and it really was more down to the fact that we weren't taking the right type of shot or were kind of unlucky, you know, uh, you know, off the bar maybe and, and maybe just a little shy of target. And we, we could have scored goals in that first half or before those other two players came on because we were finding the right bits of space. And it only just got better when we brought on Pedro, who seems to be more accustomed to this. And we saw, I think, the benefit as well 
of Daru in this particular battle with the amount of crosses that we were whipping in. I mean, it was over 20 crosses this game where you benefit from his height in the box, being able to be someone who's going to draw defenders in versus being someone like Morata who's looking more for kind of a perfect one-on-one matchup. You know, I, to me, something that kind of stands out with this a little bit, you know, not necessarily the, the personnel, but Chelsea have scored after the 80th minute in our first four matches. I think that is awesome, too, because to me that says that, you know, even with Huddersfield, at that point, you were up to nothing. Chelsea are still hungry. They are still looking for goals, pushing the entire game. Uh, obviously, Arsenal, the 81st minute was the match winner, um, you know, so that was highly important. Newcastle scored in the 76th and 87th minute and born with the 72nd and 85th. So again, just the fact that our, you know, this, this team and the mentality is to, you know, never push. I know Nick, that has been a huge frustration you've had, even under Antonio Conte at times, the team just kind of let their foot off the break and the games really just kind of, you know, whimper out and there's no real drive to push on and get goals three, four, five, six. Um, I think that that will go away under Maurizio. Sorry. I think that he will want his teams playing, a hundred percent as fast as they possibly can all the way until the final whistle. So uh, again, just an observation, you know, that, that I had. And I think that, you know, you guys kind of talked to, it's also a testament how strong our bench is, um, you know, this season, which is weird because we, you know, we didn't sign too many players, but even just the minor tweaks that we have had now, it seems like every time we go to the bench, you know, bringing in a William or a Pedro or a Giroux or Ruben Loftus-Cheek or whoever, it's just, you know, you have uh, essentially someone who could have started uh, in almost all three of those positions, which I think is really cool. Um, so before we go to the next question, I guess, Dan, I, we did want to selfishly plug our, our Patreon that we do have because uh, it's pretty cool and it's pretty fun. Yeah, it's a way to help support the show. Obviously, we will do most of this for absolutely nothing, and you don't have to go to Patreon and give us a dollar or two or whatever you'd like to to help support the show. But we use it to defer some of the costs. We do it to, you know, take care of the hosting or the things of that nature uh, and produce more awesome content. And, you know, you get first in line access to ask some of the questions, which I think benefited a few of our wonderful Patreon subscribers who got to be the individuals whose questions we asked of Matt Law on the second episode they'll be dropping this week. So there's a, there's a value to it too. And we are definitely looking at doing some more stuff with it this season in regards to specific access to uh, content recording or things of that nature. So keep your eyes posted and uh, throw us a little love there. It's us, patreon.com, and I believe it's forward slash London is Blue. London podcast. Blue Pod. Keep it simple. Blue pod. Okay, there you go. All right, so the next one I want to talk about, Dan, and I am going to circle back to you, is the resident Alonzo hater. I mean, that's just obviously <laughs> what we all know you as. Uh. Why do you hate Marcus Alonzo? And is it because yeah. he's consistently scoring goals and providing assists? Does that frustrate you about him? <laughs> yeah, because I'm the one who was calling for Emerson for weeks and weeks, uh, banging the drum. Yeah, this is called for the um, Brazilian Italian deflecting and rewriting my own history. So yeah, <laughs> you, you you definitely are rewriting your narrative right now, uh, and I appreciate that you're a big enough of a man to say that you were wrong and put that out there on social. And you know what? I think there has been a lot of undue hate towards Alonzo and I think a lot of it surfaces because of his, his past and uh, an incident that occurred in in Spain that is horrific and terrible and we'll go into depth in here 
but everyone wants to lambast him for some reason. And I get it, right? You know, but here's the thing. Chelsea have won four games in a row under a brand new manager while implementing a new system, while learning new roles and having a general on the pitch in Jorginho who's telling you where you should pass the ball all the time. So you're probably thinking a little bit differently than you were previously. I just I can't do anything other than have great love and admiration for what Marcus Alonso is doing on the pitch right now for Chelsea. And I think that if this continues, you know, and, and you'll hear Matt Law talk about this in another episode later this week, but like there's not many better left backs in all of world football right now, depending upon what your qual you know, your qualifier is gonna be. You know, there's I mean, you know, if you want to say Mendy, you could say Alessandro, you can look at, you know, Marcelo, you can look at Alaba, you can look at, you know, Jordi Alba. So, I mean, the, the, Alonso is in that grouping of players, and yet people still want to go say, well, why don't we go spend 50, 60, 70 million pounds on Alessandro, Nick? And I just don't, that doesn't make sense to me anymore. We have a top left back in, in the league and in Europe. That's how our manager thinks about it. Our manager is known for helping to develop players defensively, like Koulibaly. I am thinking that Alonso will be one of the best or slash most improved players under Sarri this season. He is a ridiculous threat offensively right now. Uh, he is, you know, we're, we're looking for a midfield to provide goals. I mean, I still think that he kind of has a a midfielder type mentality. So maybe that's, um, you know, kind of from the wingback setup, kind of where he's, he's coming from, but his positioning in the box when he, when he's able to get forward is tremendous. His shot is obviously tremendous. Um, he does, you know, have some work to do defensively just as everyone adapts to the system. But, you know, you could make that point about a lot of players. I mean, he is, he's definitely surprised me. Uh, I, I really thought that he, he might've been a candidate to be moved on, um, before the before the transfer window transfer window ended, and you know he's he's a guy that's just stepped up and and kind of took his own uh, took his moments as they've been coming, and he's a guy that I think a lot of fans would want to you know be our starting striker given our our output there right now. But um, you know until until the you know the full defensive evolution is complete, I, I don't think it's really that fair to judge him or anyone. Uh, right now on that side of the ball, but uh, look for that to happen maybe around November time period, um, Amity, and see if we can get get something mixed up there and 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 a little bit more solid. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's worth noting that since Alon, this is from uh, BBC's match of the day. Since Alonso's debut in the Premier League, he no defender has more goals or assists. He has 14 goals and seven assists. The next defender on the list is also Chelsea player. It's Cesar Aspilicueta with three goals and 11 assists. And I mean, Alonso's contribution is, as you said, if we can get that kind of production from a striker, we'd love it. And I get that people, I mean, tend to lambast him for, I don't know, being cut out of position or being cut too high up the field. But if you don't think that our manager is instructing him to do so, then you're, you're living in a fantasy world. However, Alonso can improve, I think. There's, there's room for it, not only on his, on his defensive contribution, but sometimes his... I guess his awareness in, in the offensive third. Yes, he always ends up in a good position because that's how he's contributing on you know so many goals and assists. But there's a sense that he kind of lingers in those spaces a bit too long, and I get that he's going to improve, especially under Sarri. So this is only going to become a better thing, and I think his contributions will hopefully round out on the defensive side. But 
and I understand that a lot of Chelsea fans and whether you're a fan of Chelsea or not have, you know, some people have really decided that Alonso isn't the kind of player we want. I don't know if it's because he's, you know, lanky or slower than most people think, but this contribution is kind of, it, it serves to shut those naysayers up. And I don't know, I'd like to see more of his defensive contribution. Um, but at the same time, you cannot, you cannot discount what he's providing for us on the, on the offensive end. No, no, you cannot. And let me walk you through what he is contributing. <laughs> so he is third with one goal this season. Uh, he is tied for first with two assists this season. He is uh, also one of the six or seven, I think, six field players that have played every single minute of this season. Uh, he has the fourth, I'm sorry, fifth most passes in the team. Um, he has the second most touches in the team, which I think is pretty impressive. Oh, and by the way, he's hit the woodwork twice. So he very easily could be tied with Pedro on three goals this season if it weren't just for a bit of an unlucky bounce one way or the other. Uh, at BoyGonFit on Twitter saying, is Marcos Alonso the Frank Lampard of left backs? Every game he goes into the box without being picked up and picking up vital goals and assists. Now, why this sounds really funny, I actually think that there's a lot of like, correctness in this right like lamps was known for always timing his runs into the box coming in late uh catching the defense not looking in and scoring the goals and at least within the first four games right like it's still a small sample but it's a really high output in the small sample uh, alonzo is tending to do a lot of the same things which is fantastic um dan do you want to even go through some of sorry's post-match comments on alonzo after this match i mean he did not hold back his true feelings no he was very positive saying alonzo at the moment in this position at left back is maybe the best, best stop group. it stop it's terrible <laughs> uh his physical qualities are at a top level i think he's doing very well in the offensive phase but i also think he can improve in the defensive phase if he improves that, he could be the best left back in the world, which is a mighty praise. Did not take into account or mention the silly challenge he had out of bounds on a yellow card that could have had him seen, potentially a second yellow, that we will just slightly mention and say that is something that should be worked out of his game. But beyond that, awesome player. Yeah, I mean, it's true. He did have a, a bit of a moment, a bit of a howler going a little crazy. Uh, you know, <laughs> Nick... I think it was Dan who literally Googled best left backs in the world. <laughs> and Google came up with Marcelo, Danny Alves, Jordi Alba, Felipe Luis, Danny Rose, Marcos Alonso, Benjamin Mendy, Roberto Carlos, Ashley Cole, Alexandro. And I can't explain this, but it says <laughs> Luke Shaw. No, no. Uh, we're, yeah, we're never... Yeah, we're, I think Google... Um, Google had a mishap there. Um, I, I think Roberto Carlos doesn't play anymore, so that's that's probably off the list. Although he he's the goat. Um, yeah, I, look, there aren't. There, it's not a huge line in front of Marcus Alonso. I think he's clearly better than Danny Rose. I think you know Jordi Alba plays in a system that really benefits his uh, his kind of wing talent and his speed. Um, you know, obviously Marcelo is incredible. And I think like the comparisons between, you know, them getting forward and, and the types of offensive talent they have, or, you know, I think that Marcus Alonso might be a, 
a poor man's uh, Marcelo in terms of you know getting forward. But you know, still, if that's the barrier to entry, and I think Marcelo's probably, for my money, the best left back in the world. You know, that's not a terrible place to be if you're Chelsea Football Club to have a, a guy with you know kind of similar attributes. Maybe not as much speed, but but certainly uh, the ability on the ball is there. So I, I don't know, uh, Amity, what you think, but you know, I think we're in a pretty decent position here. No, I fully agree, and I think that to get ahead of ourselves would be probably the worst the worst thing we could do four games into the season. But so that's exactly what we're gonna do. <laughs> but again, to me though, the team of the season, he'll be in the yeah. team of the season. Don't right. worry, probably for all of Europe. So I mean, look, just go ahead. I say just to to you know re kind of structure. It's not the fact that I want to get ahead of ourselves. It's more about the conversation around Alonso that we've seen all season, and and like that he's still not good enough. So to me, my my question, what I was trying to frame up. Um, before throwing Dan under the bus right away was just that, <laughs> like, is he deserving of more credit and respect? And I just feel like a lot of fans are still giving him. And just because yeah. the sense of the stats and the production he's done as to this point, not saying he will be Premier League team of the season or anything crazy like that, but like up to now, I think we should all stop calling for Emerson or for him to like not be in the team or something crazy. No, that's correct. I, all right, that's fair. I think that a lot of Chelsea fans look at Alonso as, as I was saying before, I don't know if it's because he's so lanky or because it's, it's maybe something about his fluidity. He's he's kind of a languid player, if you can, if you will. I don't I don't think he's like the the fastest on the ball. However, there's just like it, from from it's, it's latent hate from last year. I think I think a lot of players, I mean a lot of fans were pissed at all the players on the team, all of them, not just Alonso, but he's an easy scapegoat. I mean he's in a position where. Yes, if he gets beaten, we're, we're immediately under pressure. If he's at a position, we're under pressure. If he doesn't do his job on the offensive end, we don't you know, necessarily have the same threat. He had a lot of responsibility playing in Conte's wingback system. That's just the way it is. He didn't necessarily meet all of those demands every time, but he still came through. The production, the numbers that I quoted before, that includes from the season he started with Conte. That doesn't mean that there weren't times when fans such as myself that, oh, come on, Lonzo has to do better than that. But I think he's just been an easy scapegoat. This season... It's not been the same. I don't think he's had those sorts of expo- exposed lapses. I can't think of one myself. I'm sure one of you guys will be able to point one out and refute this entire point. But I feel like <laughs> he's, he's managed to kind of play those out of his game. Or maybe just playing in a back four is more, you know, it's just a better designed system for him. Well, I would also like to point out, how about from a style and a tactic standpoint, right? Like, yeah, he's probably not your English typical left back, real hard stands on the on the halfway line and shuts down everyone that comes his way right like an ash coal like absolute shut down defender like nothing got by him but mm-hmm. what alonzo does and like a lot of these top european teams are they pin their opponents in their box right like i would much rather have our left backs running at the goal shooting from distance getting inside the six scoring goals uh, than them just standing back because to me this is a this is a style play and it's with sorry getting involved and saying no I want us to take it to teams I mean how many times do we talk about being reactive and defensive with our with our you know our, our the way we set up and went into games like this and now we're able to you know have our defenders even Aspilicueta getting in and around the box and able to to provide another threat I think that for me it, it, it's much more of Alonso doesn't defend well okay but he attacks really well, and teams have to respect that, and they have to change their game uh, around what Alonzo brings to the table. So, I mean, Dan, I know that I've kind of, 
you know, am trying to really, really push my new narrative in this point. But I also think that it's not only just Alonzo having a great season. It's also Alonzo um, doing a really, really good job under Maurizio Sarri's uh, new style of play. And I think the fans overall really like this attacking on the front foot style of play. Yeah, and I think there, you know, we did receive some questions this week about, you know, should Alonzo potentially lays up his boots as a striker, and I don't necessarily think that's the right solution for where Alonzo should be played on the pitch. I think that, you know, he is developing as a left back, and you know what, I would rather have the threat he brings to the game in adding assists and goals on the the wing, engaging with Hazard. You know, they, they definitely seem to enjoy playing with one another even though Eden did come out saying that sometimes he has to tell Marcos to go back and not always just try to get ahead and try to go for a goal because his job is to be a defender. So that type of chemistry is good. But I would rather have Alonso in the wing and get a really, really top-quality striker in there. So not only are you getting goals from up top, but you're contributing goals from the wings, you're contributing goals from your defenders, and that's when you know that everything is really gelling and operating at 100%. So... Yeah, I, I think he has benefited from the system like many players, but I think a lot of it also is his natural talent and abilities that really can't be questioned either. I, can I can I quickly say that latent hate is one of my favorite phrases of all time, Amity. I have to give you massive credit for that. Um, I think there is a lot of carryover, and I you know it's something that we're trying to do too, right? You know, something that Brandon. You know, I think even admits on this one topic that maybe some of our predispositions from last year are not accurate in the current, you know, state of play. So, you know, for example, you know, I'm looking maybe at, you know, my my question heading into the year was if Cesar Espelicueta was going to be able to adapt back to right back, you know, so far so good. But there are a lot of different things out there that I think are just in flux and changing and you know, maybe that's a, a good a good way to phrase that is don't let latent hate kind of enter your <laughs> your periphery. Yeah, and I, there's also the idea that you know, for us, we have high standards for our team. I mean, we, we we support them week in week out. We want the best for the club. We want these players, especially the new ones, to succeed. There's kind of the expectation of success regardless of the reality of the situation. You know, like whether we have to give sorry time with the new players, we have to give. Uh, players playing in a different system in time but as fans we want immediate success and I guess the latent hate is kind of our our own way of dealing with how sometimes we don't they don't match up to our expectations but I I think Eden Hazard said it best when he uh, when he recently left some quotes for uh, Chelsea TV talking about how this season and last season is not so different. It's just that the players we've brought in, they're completely different. And I think Chelsea fans have a really high expectation for their club, any club, any fans for any club do. And that's just the reality. Um, you want success, whether it's immediate or not. But I think that we're, as fans, this latent hate it is something that we kind of tend to deal with season to season. Because if your team is struggling, if your manager isn't doing the best, if players are giving quotes to the media that kind of paint the team in a negative light, there's there's someone needing to be a scapegoat for a lot of the fans, and it was easy for that to be Alonso last season. Um, and I think that letting go of that latent hate is something that we're all going to have to do as the team improves. But I think that there's also, as I said, the desire for immediate success. And if we don't get it, hey, say we had finished the last three, four weeks, two games, one, two draws, or maybe even a, a one win, I think we'd be talking a lot differently about these players. So 
I think that if taken with a grain of salt, but also be a little bit realistic. Chelsea fans and any fans of any Premier League, Premier League club want success and might be a little bit maybe unrealistic about how they go about you know pursuing that. Absolutely. Hashtag stop late and hate. We're doing it, guys. One issue at a time. Start the campaign now, all right? <laughs> all right. I'm going to keep it with you, actually. And I want to ask, uh, what do you make of Chelsea's newfound possession this season? There's some doubters or maybe haters who complain Jorginho only passes five yards laterally and that possession is meaningless if you don't go forward. Uh, Chelsea have been having 60, 70, 80% possession consistently so far this season. And I don't know. What's your take on this new version of Chelsea's sorry ball? Um, I think anybody who says that possession is meaningless unless it goes forward, I think that, um, as I was saying before, and anybody who's played the game will know, if you have to run back and forth between two players, whether they're five yards apart or three yards apart, you're going to get tired having to do that over and over. And you'll see it when we're playing teams. Jorginho will demand the ball off the center backs, they'll play it to him, and he'll give it right back. And the person who's guarding Jorginho, maybe, whether it be the you know, the inverted forward, whether it's the center midfielder, tucking in or it, it doesn't really matter they look back and forth and see that the ball is going to go back to Jorginho and they stop running it's it's just a, it's a mental game a lot of the time if you see two players holding onto the ball passing in an area where they can't be that dangerous you know and, and if a team isn't apl- uh, employing a high press they're going to let them have it and I can understand how teams can say well Chelsea aren't doing much with the ball let them have it there. But a player with the kind of vision that Jorginho has, and Kovacic included, even David Luiz and Rudiger can ping balls like that. So possession doesn't have to be forward, uh, forward-based forward or forward-focused in order to be effective. And furthermore, if the point of this is to kind of demoralize the other team who aren't seeing the ball, who are only running around, trying to get it back and then failing to do so, it's it plays on their, on their you know, on their mental game, then thinking, well, if we get the ball, are we even going to be able to do anything with it? They've been camped out in our box for the entire game. They don't seem troubled. I mean, it's demoralizing. Having played that way against quality teams, as a defender or as as a player who wants to go forward and and try to win the game offensively, if you don't see the ball, you're not going to be very pleased. And it plays on the entire team's mentality. I think that anybody saying that possession that doesn't necessarily go forward the entire time, I think they're just upset about it because – they, they're not appreciating what this means for the entire team. It's a 90-minute game. It's very hard to run back and forth between two players who are only five or ten yards apart and not see the ball. I mean, yeah. I So, as a goalkeeper, I agree um, from the possession side. I'm sure it is tired chasing the ball around. I don't know personally. But, Nick, um, as the armchair expert, I would say, of the podcast, you seeing the team – really just kind of suffocate, suffocate out these teams a little bit. Um, I know an invite, it also invites teams to just sit back and defend right away because they're like, well, we're not going to get the ball you know, at midfield anyways. Might as well sit and wait for it. How do you think Chelsea are adapting with this, um, the newfound kind of like crazy amounts of possession we have? I, I think we're adapting fine. I mean, it, we've been on the opposite side of this equation many times over the last few years, and you can tell by like the 60th, 65th, 70th minute that legs start to go mental. You know, I think the, the bigger challenge is that your, your the mental side of your game starts to uh, to maybe tire a little bit. And that's when mistakes can happen. So, you know, I think part of the reason that you're seeing these late goals and you're seeing the, the amount of passes and possession and all these other things, I think Maurizio Sarri is confident 
that Chelsea, you know, has the ability to wear teams down. Um, I think he would like to see a faster, you know, more vertical style of play than, than, you know, horizontal uh, and side to side passing and all that stuff. But whatever gets the job done uh, is, is what I care about. And, you know, you saw, especially early in this in this match against Bournemouth, a few over the top balls, and we haven't seen those for you know a couple of years now. To be to be fair, like there there are a lot that were you know Morata just couldn't get on the end of. But I think there's some some inroads being made with you know if, if the ball is passed side to side a few times that you know Jorginho and Golakante Kovacic are looking for the opportunity to play someone in behind on the ground or or over the top and. That just, you know, again, it takes such an incredible amount of mental, um, I don't know, I, just accuracy and, and game that you have as, a, as an opposing defender that, you know, if, if you're content, if you're watching the ball go side to side, then it's over over your head and there's nothing you can do about it. Chelsea's going to see some joy there for sure. So that's just an opinion from one guy, but, you know, certainly you know, feel like Chelsea's making the right types of, of moves going forward. Dan, do you want to weigh in on this a little bit? It's been a pleasure to watch. I think it's been something that will continue to be exciting, and I think it's going to be really interesting to see how much possession and how much ball retention we can have going up against some of the more elite competition that will go up against the season. And I think it's going to be interesting because we're going to be progressing forward in our understanding of the system before we play a really crucial match here against Liverpool uh, twice in the end of the month, once in the League Cup and then once in the Premier League. We have Cardiff, we have West Ham, we got some Rio action kind of in between and nestled all within that. And it's going to be really, really exciting. I just wonder what will change, what will fl- you know fluctuate a little bit as we look to see how we play against a City or a Liverpool or Watford, you know, um, yeah, those really those those top top teams in the Premier League right now. Powerhouse Watford. You joke, but they are playing some phenomenal football right now. Yeah, man. Even um, oh man, even Chalaba getting some minutes still. So it's good to always see him finding some success. Unfortunately, outside Chelsea. Um, all right, let's go ahead and start to wrap this one up with uh, any other thoughts. I have a, a point here that Ruben has made an appearance in case anyone missed it. Uh, at J-A-R-E underscore, 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 underscore. Other than that slight hiccup in the box, RLC looked really influential in such a short, ta- short time. Do you think he deserves a start? And at 1689 Jedi Matt saying, what do you think of RLC? Sorry, spoke highly of him at his press conference yesterday. Made some good runs, lost the ball once in a dangerous spot. Overall, I think he is improving. Uh, I mean, Amity, we, you know, seems like every week are talking about Ruben at this point. It's it's mainly because it's kind of that make or break time. He is staying until January at least, and that has been very public. The guy wants minutes, understandably so. Um, what did you make of the minutes he did get this past weekend? Um, I think it was good. It was a good time to bring him on, and I think he can have a really strong effect against a tired side like uh, Bournemouth. Look, I mean, they just faced a team who had, as we said, eighty-one to seven, like seventy at the very least, seventy-six percent possession going into that part of the game. Having Loftus Cheek come on, who's going to want the ball? He's going to want to be effective on it. He's going to want to bring other people in. 
I think that it is time, the best time for him to shine. I mean, as Sari said, I'm quoting him here. He said, I'm very happy with him because in the last 10 days, he's improved a lot. I think he'll be important for sure. Starting from September, he'll play every three days. So I think that Loftus will be very important and very useful for us. So I think Sari has plans for him clearly. And whether that means he's going to give him 10, 15 minutes at the end of the game or start him from the beginning, I think that that's good that he has him in his plans. And I don't want him to go in January. I think that I think that this will come to fruition. And I obviously I'm not not telling everybody that I'm going to be able to see the future here. But if RLC gets these sorts of minutes and he continues to put in the performances like the one he had against Bournemouth, he's going to get his shot. And I think that the fans, the general buzz around Stanford Bridge when he was warming up, when he came on, everybody at Chelsea wants to see him succeed. And these new quotes from Saria are only kind of a reassurance for the fans, for the players, for him himself. Um, I need to, I think he needs to feel that he's important. And if he can kind of produce the sorts of performances that he had for uh, Crystal Palace towards the end of the season, uh, I think that we'll really, we'll really be able to get the most out of him. Absolutely. I mean, that, that is definitely the goal. Um, he kind of has the extra pressure with the academy raised tag as well. But, uh, you know, it, hopefully we can figure it out this time, obviously. Um, Dan and Nick, we've talked a lot about it. I think we all kind of know where we net out on that. So I will like to push Dan into the man of the match poll from this past match. Um, I don't know. I'm, am, I, am I almost disappointed that there's no trolling or nothing funny going on here, Dan? <laughs> what hath you? It was a great 2-0 no win. It was happy. It was sunny days at Stanford Bridge. You can't you can't throw in a little you know crazy little comment there, especially when you've got some legitimate candidates. So we put in Alonzo, Drew, Hazard, and Pedro. You know, we had the two starters who played exceptional, and then two impact subs that really changed the game and unlocked Bournemouth for us. Uh, Hazard wins with sixty one percent of the vote. Alonzo, you know, not closely behind, but in second place at nineteen percent. Pedro at fifteen, and Drew at five percent, rounding it off. Huh. Nick, hot takes? No, uh, I, I think, you know, again, one of the comments I wanted to make in general is I think Kovacic is, is so good. Um, he, he could have been a candidate for me. Uh, he, he's playing a role right now that I think, you know, hopefully ends up getting a little bit further forward, uh, ends up doing some some of the dirty work, interchanging, assisting maybe a little bit more. Uh, but man, you know, his, his energy, especially the first 60 minutes was exceptional. And, and I think he's a, a key cog moving forward. Yeah, it is unfortunately probably a huge roadblock to why, uh, Ruben won't be getting more minutes this season, but as Amity pointed out, it's a good thing that we have good players in our team. And that is an important thing. All right. Well, as we go into the top four, uh, at Collier Dave 78 saying, not a question, but a comment. I believe that it took us until the 14th of October last year to earn one more point than we currently have this year. It is still too early to confirm a title challenge, but a better season than last is almost certain. Uh, you know, if we're better than last season, that puts us top four, which is where we currently stand. Liverpool are in first on 12 points with a plus eight goal difference. Chelsea, 12 points plus seven. Um, this looks old. This looks like an old table, guys, because we have Watford in third, City in fourth, Tottenham <laughs> in fifth, Bournemouth in sixth. That is how it stands. So Watford, Liverpool, and Chelsea, just as you would expect it. 
the the three teams undefeated so far this season. Yep. Um, just one little question. Can anybody tell us where United is? Just just a question. So you have to scroll. Oh you have to do a little bit of scrolling, Amity. <laughs> in the in the advertising world, they would be below the fold, I believe. <laughs> mm, it's very true. Uh, yeah, United and Arsenal, probably the two big names hanging out, uh, you know, around the bottom. And I would even point out, like, how typical, uh, you know. United are up two nothing. Things are going well for Jose, and then the Rashford red card, and it then all of a sudden things get a little crazy. And I'm like, of, of course, like a perfect day out just can't happen for United, right? It just seems to be one of those seasons. Mourinho season three, man. You know, it's just written in the stars. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> awesome. Well, anything else you guys want to pull out of this match that we maybe have missed? Uh, you know, Dan, anything specific to you? Anyhow, did a really nice job preparing for this match. Uh, I think that they were willing to play a little bit more football for the first you know, 15, 20 minutes before it settled down. They did change some tactics and went a little bit more defensive, but you would expect that from a, you know, a side that's coming in to Stanford Bridge or coming to fight against a top four, top six team would potentially act that way. Um even though Bournemouth would be considered a, a top half of the table team at this point. So, you know, good good for Eddie and the work that he's continuing to do. And, uh, you know, he's just doing to, it to prove Nick Verlaine wrong this season. It's yeah. all on the uh, the anti-Nick train. Uh, yeah, I picked Bournemouth to go down. They're, they're not reacting like a team that wants to go down. Uh, I, I agree. I actually thought that they could have had a, a couple of, of goals in this match, even though they didn't have a ton of possession or, or you know, a ton of attacks. They, they certainly played hard and they will be a tough team for, you know, many in the mid table um, to, to beat. And I think they will probably give your Manchester United's and Arsenal's uh, more than they want uh, during the season. So um, credit, credit to Bournemouth as well. Agreed. I'd like to just remark on the fact that there was a great shot. I'm not sure if it was BBC. Uh, there's a great shot of Gene Franco Zola and other assistant coaches, freaking out um i don't know if it's after hazard's goal or if it was after pedro's but i'm loving seeing Zola like that and i and i just like the fact that he's still at the club i mean i think that he he injects some i guess some real club identity um and for what i and, and others have spoken about and written about about chelsea lacking in the identity since the departure of key players i think having him on the bench you know instructing the younger players being a presence there for the for those who haven't necessarily been at chelsea for too long I think he's incredibly effective, and I just love seeing him fist pumping on the sideline uh, uh, from this past game. And I think it's a great, it's a great shot. I oh, love that connection and that and, and passion and enthusiasm that Zola brings. I think that's a a great shot that all fans will get behind for sure. Um, the one last thing that we do want to point out, uh, Dan, is before we wrap this one up, uh, a very great, very awesome, special, feel good thing that the club did for one of their longest serving employees at the weekend before the Bournemouth match. Yeah. A gentleman, Brian, who's worked with the club for over 50 or at this point, 50 years, plus probably a day or two here. And he was recognized in the Chelsea briefing room with uh, Steve Atkinson. And then also Bruce Buck came in to hand him a commemorative silver, uh, program essential stand that was essentially the program of the year that he started working for the club so uh, uh vi one of our friends had video of it along with a couple other journal journalists and shared that out but really touching 
Uh, and then also Bruce made a joke about how uh, fifty manager uh, uh, in fifty manage uh, fifty years they've had twenty seven managers and that isn't too bad. So yeah, good to see that uh, humor is uh, in in key a uh, key commodity and available all throughout Sanford Bridge currently this season. It was a really 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 awesome to see the club doing stuff like that and and taking care of their long time. Um, employees but I think that'll go ahead and uh, do it for this weekend obviously you know it's it's tight margins right you're one N'Golo Kante wonder tackle and one Nathan Ake surprising miss away from drawing this match so um, you know while we got out of there with the two nothing is still early days and there is a lot more to come from this Chelsea team which is also super exciting so as always again Amity thank you so much for jumping on the pod and hanging out with us this afternoon Always a pleasure, guys, um, and thank you for listening. Folks at home, you can feel free to follow me or hate tweets, all that stuff. I love it. Send me your <laughs> send me your annoyance. Send me your agreements. Send me all of those things. It's fun to interact, and, and that's the whole reason that um, I and others like me come on the podcast with so many followers and obviously to reach out to Chelsea fans. So thanks for having me again, guys. Same thing goes with the Carefree Blues pod. Check it out. Um, but yeah, I think that that'll wrap it up for our match review. We will be back later in the week with our uh, you know, our second part, as we always do. And remember, our guest was Matt Law on that. So super excited to be able to push that out. Um, and then after that is a dreaded international break. But we might have something for you on that weekend and that Monday to help you get through it. We have to stay tuned for part two to find out. But until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.